And we're currently in a series called The Life You Long For. And in this series, you know, we've been wrestling with the difficulties that life brings. You know, some of us wrestle with difficulties in our workplaces. Uh, we, some of us wrestle with finding purpose and meaning. Uh, some of us wrestle with our relationships. And some of us might be facing a season of suffering. And over the past few weeks, we've looked both looked into Ecclesiastes and Job to really try to understand what does God have to say about that. But more importantly, to look at how God actually comes alongside us in our difficult moments. We've been looking at how God comes alongside us and gives us meaning and purpose. We've been looking at how God walks with us in the midst of our suffering. We've been looking at how God helps us bear fruit when we work for our good and the good of our neighbors. So as we toil under the sun, we can experience a God that both cares and comforts for us. So it's only right now, it's only right that we turn our attention right now to worshiping God. And that's what I want, to look at, want us to look at today. Because here's what I know about myself, and I guess maybe for some of you as well, that sometimes our worship feels dry. Sometimes our worship feels like we're just going through the motions. And not only does our worship feel flat, but our response to God seems to be missing. So today, I want us to kind of think about and wrestle with this question. How do we protect our hearts against a complacent attitude towards worship? How do we protect our hearts against a complacent attitude towards worship? Because here's what I know. Because for some of us, some of our worship has become just a ritual. It's just something we do because we say that we are Christians. So when Sunday comes around, we have to show up at church. So today I want us to take us back to Ecclesiastes and take a look at what the teacher has to tell us about worship. And to learn about some of the things that he observed in the church at that time. And I want to take us back to Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. And this is what he says. As he, he, he says this as a means of counseling people on worship. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. 
Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So let's try to unpack this a little bit, right? Uh, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, this is the first thing he tells. He says, you know, when we approach God, we need to be ready to honor him. We need to approach God with readiness to honor him. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. He says, guard your steps in Hebrew can easily be translated as taking great care. In other words, we need to be prepared and ready to worship. You're approaching God's house to meet with God. And we need to ready ourselves to enter into his presence. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, there was a movie uh, a few years back called Forrest Gump. I, I really enjoyed that movie. And in that movie, you know, Forrest was a decorated you know, war soldier, saves lives, and he got to meet the president. So he was invited to the White House, and there in the White House, right, he saw all this food and Dr. Pepper. He loves Dr. Pepper. So he goes ahead and starts drinking all this Dr. Pepper. And then when he uh, finally gets this opportunity to meet the president, the president greets him and he says, you know, great job. You know, is there anything else you want to say? He basically said he had to go to the bathroom. He said he had to go pee. That was what was on his mind. And I know for a lot of us, maybe church is like, that. There's something else on our mind. There's something going on. We've had a bad morning and we forget that God is here and we're here to worship him. You know, sometimes for us, that's our church experience. It's more about interacting with everyone else and we forget that we're here to worship God. We're here to honor him. See, here's the, te the teacher saw the people coming into the temple with their sacrifices. They, they're entering this beautiful, majestic temple, beautifully decorated. Okay, everything was placed in a proper place. You know? People were supposed to come and worship and pray. But more importantly, they were supposed to come to meet with God, to acknowledge him, to give him praise and honor. But the teacher was watching these people come in and out as if it was a routine. And it probably went something like this. People go, people go to the temple, make their sacrifices, God forgives them, and the next time they mess up, they'll show up again. People will go to the temple, make an offering, and God will bless them. People go to the temple, uh, ask God, you know, tell God they want something, try to make an exchange, and hopefully God answers. And that's the extent of their visit to the temple. It's rinse and repeat. But the house of God has become a place then to just transact with God instead of a place to worship and honor him. The rituals have replaced the relationship. See, rituals have replaced a deeper and more meaningful encounter with God. Now, I don't have any problems with spiritual practices. I love them. But shouldn't they lead us into a deeper relationship with God? You know, I, and I understand 
that it's not easy getting into the right headspace when we come to worship God. You know, for many years, uh, I had to get four little girls ready for church. That is no easy feat in the morning. Okay, I had to get in the car and drive into Manhattan because that's where I went to worship. Okay, again, Sunday mornings, traffic is a little bit better. So, okay, that wasn't too bad. But just try finding parking in Manhattan. It doesn't matter what day of the week. It's going to be hard to find parking. And I know we all have our excuses. You know, some of us barely got up in time for church today. Of course, it's in the afternoon today. So if you got up now to come to church and you're late, that's another story. Uh, But maybe our kids were driving us crazy or the trains were late again and there's too much traffic. And frankly, you might think, man, you just don't understand. You don't know the week that I had. And I get that. And I understand. But do we take the time to remember actually who we're going to go worship? You know, I love it when Jesus was teaching his disciples uh, and uh, he was teaching them how to pray. And, And what he began with wasn't like, okay, here's what you need to uh, ask God when you pray. He began with teaching us how we need to address God. This is what he says in Matthew 6, 9 to 10. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus taught us how to approach God in prayer and worship before we can even think about anything else. And there's three things we can learn here. We need to approach him as father. We need to approach him as someone who is holy. And we need to approach him as king. Jesus taught us that we are approaching our heavenly father. There is a relationship there. He's just not some God that's out there. He is your father. You are his child. He he wants you to approach him with this understanding that he knows you intimately. He loves you dearly. And he cares for you greatly. And that is how he wants our relationship with him when we come to him. He's also taught us that, Jesus also taught us that our God is holy hallowed be his name. In other words, he is to be revered and we are supposed to be in awe of him. He is perfect and we are not. We are approaching a perfect God. And third, we are approaching a king. He rules both heaven and earth. His kingdom reigns. His will is being done on both heaven and on earth. And we are, when we approach him, we're approaching someone with authority and majesty. And shouldn't we come to then honor him? So that's the first thing that the teacher reminds us of, is about our worship. Don't forget why you are here. I know for many of us, we want to catch up with maybe friends, but we are here to honor God, to be in his presence. The second thing, the teacher reminds us that we approach God with a readiness to listen, a readiness to listen. 
No, the other day, uh, I was taking one of my daughters to Great Adventure with a group of our friends. And um, we got into my car, and I don't know if you ever spent an hour and a half in an enclosed space with teenage girls, okay? Let me tell you, it is loud, all right? They have a lot to say about something or someone, all right? And in those moments, I'm driving, I'm saying, I just wish I had a cone of silence, right? Because here I am, I'm trying to drive, right? It's raining, uh, and uh, they're having all this conversation. And what's amazing about teenage girls, okay, they can all be talking all at once. It could be like three conversations going on. And for whatever reason, they actually understand each other. Like they actually can respond to each other. Okay, I can only barely respond to one conversation or focus on one conversation. And you know what? There are times in terms of what they're saying is that I just want to say something. I got an opinion too, right? But after 20 years of driving with kids in a car in an enclosed space with over 2,000 miles, I realized sometimes it's just better to be quiet. Sometimes it's better to not say anything. So and sometimes, when we, and when it comes to our worship, sometimes it's better for us to listen to God than to say anything. Look, I know we have questions, we have concerns, we have problems. We need God to hear us out. That is why we approach God. We need to just tell God what is happening, how messed up things are, how we need him to step in and fix it. We want to cry out and just pour all our problems on God. And when voices in our head want to scream the loudest, it's at that moment, maybe it's better if we just pull back and listen to the voice of our Savior. In Ecclesiastes 5.2, it says, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. You know, when the teacher talks about the sacrifice of fools, you know, I believe he's talking about us going to God thinking he has no clue as to what is going on. And then we need to data dump all this information on him so that he gets it. And we get this idea that the God of the universe needs us to be telling him what to do. So the teacher reminds us with great counsel. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Again, Jesus was teaching along the same lines in his Sermon on the Mount. When he's teaching about prayer, this is what he says in Matthew 5, 7 to 8. He says, when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father knows what you need. When we're going to worship God, go with confidence that he already knows your heart. You know, your father in heaven is not a Disney dad. 
You know, I've watched so many Disney shows over my years with my girls. And you know, one thing about Disney dads is they're typically not present, or they're self-absorbed, or they're just clueless. But not your Heavenly Father. He already knows what you need before you ask Him. So when we approach Him, we can approach Him with confidence that He knows your needs. So instead, what we can do is we can listen. We can listen to His promises. We can listen to His Spirit. We can listen to His counsel. Should we ask God anything? Of course. But what is our posture when we worship? Is it to unload on God with all our problems? Or is it a posture of submission and readiness to actually receive what he has to say to us? You know, I'm reminded of the story of Elijah and the priest of Baal. This is found in 1 Kings 18. And there was this, you know, Elijah was facing off with the priest of Baal on Mount Carmel. And basically, they were testing out, see, whose God was the real God? So they, they set up these uh, sacrifices, and they basically said, hey, whoever has the real God, God will send down fire and burn his offering. So Elijah says, okay, let's do that. And he allowed the priest of Baal to start first. And the priest of Baal, from morning into late in the day, they were screaming and yelling and trying to get their God to burn up this offering. They were cutting themselves, but nothing happened. Then Elijah basically turns to God. He says, God, you know, I know God, my God's going to do this. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour more water in this offering. Right? I'm going to pour water on the sacrifice. So he actually creates a bigger problem for himself, right? But here is what he knew, that his God was the real God. And what he had to say to God was short and sweet. Basically what he said was, Lord, you are the one true God, and you got this. Now, not exactly in those words, of course, but Elijah didn't have to say much. God sent fire down from heaven and consumed the offering. You see, there is a time and place to pour your heart out to God. God wants to hear your concerns. And I don't want to minimize our problems because it is there and it is real. But what we want to do when we come to worship is we want to elevate God over our problems. Right? We want to lift up God over our problems because we're going to a God who's got this for us. And worship is the time where we acknowledge that, where we praise him, where we honor him, and acknowledge that he's a God that's got this and that we should be ready to then receive and listen to him. See, because worship is not getting God to pay attention to us. Worship is us paying attention to God. So let's approach him with humility and confidence and ready to receive what he has for us, ready to listen. And the third thing that we learn from this passage when we approach God 
is that we need to be ready to obey. We need to approach God with a readiness to obey. Here's what he says. says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Because why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? See, vows were actually a common place in the scriptures. And one commentary, uh, as I was studying this passage, passage says, you know, vows were pledges worshipers would make to God as part of the offering or sacrifice process. The vow was made so that God might answer a re- specific request. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see that in 1 first, first Samuel 1, right, when, when Hannah, who was childless, uh, went and prayed and asked God, says, God, you know, if you give me a child, I would now present this, I will give this child back to you. I will present him back to you, uh, and he will serve you all the days of his life. And God blessed her with Samuel. And when Samuel was weaned, she took him to the temple, and there he stayed with Eli. And Samuel became one of God's prophets. See, we all make promises. Promises or how we communicate in words our commitment to someone. You know, last weekend, I, had, I went to my niece's wedding. And it was a beautiful wedding. Uh, all the family, just like so many family and friends there at this wedding. And the place was beautiful. Uh, the food was great. Uh, the decorations, you know, was, was wonderful. They put a lot of work into it. Uh, the officiant uh, gave a, a wonderful message on marriage. Then the vows came, right? As part of their ceremony, they exchanged vows. And Rich, you know, her husband, gave his vows. And then it was my niece. And the officiant says, hey, you know, you know Corinne, you know, repeat after me. And as she began to say those vows... You could hear her choke up. And then you can hear her sobbing. And then you could see the tears. As she said each word of the vow. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, what about her mascara? So no, no, no. She doesn't care about that. Okay? She was taken in by the moment, by, by the words that she was about to say, the commitment that she was about to make to someone that she loved. And that meant something to her. She just didn't say it. She felt it. And that's how God views our vows. Our vows matter, and it matters to God. But see, Jesus actually took it even further. In Matthew 5, 37, here's what Jesus says about, about giving oaths. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath 
by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus, Jesus basically raises the bar on our vows. He says, okay, put aside your oath for a second. And you know what? If you say yes to God, that in of itself is binding. Your yes as a Christ follower matters to God. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of you today have said yes to God. But you've delayed in answering God. See, the problem isn't in making vows, right? The problem is in keeping it. While promises communicate our commitment to someone, our actions communicate our love for someone. See, as you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. See, this is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, you got to pay it right away because it shows that you really mean it and it shows that you really love God. The longer we wait, the higher the chance that we're just not going to carry through with it. The higher the chance we're going to forget, did I really say that? How many times has that happened to you? See, because having good intentions is not good enough. We need to follow through with our promises to God. You know, if my wife asks me to throw out the garbage and I say yes, I should really throw out the garbage. Just wanting to throw out the garbage is not good enough. And this is how it becomes a worship because faithful obedience is an act of worship. Faithful obedience is an act of worship. Just think of Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Presenting our bodies, in other words, our actions is a spiritual act of worship to God. So worship is us faithfully obeying and acting on and living out our promises to God. Faithful obedience actually deepens our relationship with God. And I know right about now, this is the place in our worship where things typically fall apart for us. This is the part where guilt kind of creeps in a little bit. And we're reminded about our broken promises to God. And we're kind of reminded about how terrible we are at worshiping. And we can walk away today and just try to do better. We can walk away today saying, you know what? I'm going to show up and worship service on time. Uh, I'm going to get ready to listen. I'm going to take out my notepad. I'm going to start taking notes. I'm going to be uh, ready to listen to God. I'm going to be praying more. And yes, I'm going to do my best to fill God's promises right now. But we all know how difficult that is. But here's the thing. When we fail to say yes to God, we need to remember that Jesus said yes ever since the beginning of time. 
all the way back when Adam's yes became a no, Jesus said yes. Jesus will do what Adam was supposed to do, which is to honor God, to listen to what God has to say, and to obey. And from that time on, Jesus made a plan to live out his yes to his heavenly father. And 2,000 years ago, on that night in the garden, Jesus felt the weight of his yes. He knew his time was running short. He knew soon he would be betrayed and his accused would come and arrest him. And at that time, he did what he needed to do. He went to worship God. He went before his heavenly father not to demand that God make it right, not to demand that God would spare him from this, not to demand that God would take away uh, this cup of wrath, but with reverence and humility and submission, Jesus went once again to listen to his father and to obey. Jesus said, not yet, not my will, but your will be done. And what he did and what happened after that was he was taken and crucified. And Jesus paid the penalty for all our broken promises to God. Jesus knew that nothing in this world will ever satisfy the justice of God. And nothing in this world will ever satisfy us except God. So Jesus willingly paid the price went to the cross for us so that we can have access to our Heavenly Father, no matter how imperfect our worship is. We can now have access to our Heavenly Father in no way that any offering or vow or prayer can ever provide. We have Jesus. So to protect our hearts against a complacent attitude towards worship, maybe we should start by remembering the cost that it took Jesus to give us access to the presence of God. See, Jesus came to give us the life that we long for, a life that brings glory to God, a life where we can enter into God's presence freely and worship him and receive from him and be changed by him and to go out to live the life that he has called us to live. So let us be a people who worship willingly and passionately a Savior who made access to God possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with, and just want to receive from you. We come before you today to worship you. Father God, our words are not enough but we know Jesus is enough. We come before you with, by the grace and mercy of our Savior Jesus, and we just want to worship you. We pray you receive what we have for you today. Father God, we pray that you would be glorified and honored by our, our singing, our words, you know, our listening, our minds, Father God. And Father God, we just pray that as we do that, you would just change our hearts towards you, that you would align our uh, hearts towards you, Father God, and that in all that we do, Father God, may it be pleasing in your sight. 
Father God, we know you forgive us when we fail. We know that you've paid the penny for that. But Father God, we want to be obedient to you. We want to follow you. Because we know, Father God, that you have the best for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.